take two middle-aged men who happen to be cousins and share a common codependency on movies, put them in a room, and tell them to talk about anything film-related. The result? An existential exposition of cinematic synergy we call The Finleys on Film. Evening, Mr. Finley. Evening, Mr. Finley. How are you today? Doing good. How are you doing? I am all right, all right, all right. Nice. <laughs> Any kind of a lead-in for this week's episode? I got nothing unless you do. Um, no. Okay. Not really. Let's roll it. You you talked about Otto Preminger on a recent episode. Oh, um, yes. Uh-huh. Well, I should say this. Welcome, by the way, to our Patreon subscribers. Thank you so much for being a Patreon subscriber. Absolutely. Thank you very much. We appreciate your support. And We'd this like... is an episode just for you, accessible yes. to no others. Absolutely. Now, tell a friend. Let's get some more <laughs> of you guys in here. <laughs> Welcome to the clubhouse, but let's make it a clubhouse. So we for- Sorry, our, we forgot our manners there. Uh-huh. Um, now As you, we often do. You were talking about Otto Preminger um, not long ago, and um, you talked about what a great noir director you thought Preminger was. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that conversation, you mentioned Wilder as a great noir director. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of hard to, I think it's a little bit hard to argue on that one. Right. Certainly not based on what our first movie we're going to be talking about tonight, correct? A, a couple for sure. You know, but what's interesting is is um, Wilder had the same sort of distaste for stylized directing. Mm-hmm. He said that right. Preminger did. Uh-huh. And yet they would argue in our first and second, possibly even third film, mm-hmm. That he was a highly stylized director. Absolutely. I mean, his use of shadow almost is, is, is again, almost a defining yep. characteristic of noir as a as a genre itself. And really, is Boy, one we're really of, boring really the audience, Tommy. It was one of the big ones. The use of the light and the shadow, particularly the shadow, yeah. definitely definitely sets him apart. Like oh, yeah. Well, so, so of course, we're going to start by talking about 1944's Double Indemnity. Double Indemnity. Now, Double down on the indemnity, my I'm going to start by making a couple of comments to you. Well, one to you, Tommy. Mm-hmm. I think that you don't like this movie a lot, as uh, I recall. I, the, the, I find it incredibly mm-hmm. flawed. It's not the mm-hmm. most enjoyable movie I, mm-hmm. I've ever seen. Okay, so I think it's a great movie. It's got a lot of great qualities to it. Um, but uh, it's, uh, I don't know, some parts of it... Let's put it this way. Edward G. Robinson, to me, is the is the most compelling character in the movie. Uh, well, that's not a flaw. I mean, I think he is a gr- very compelling character yeah. in this movie. Well, he is, but he, but he's also, I think he drowns out the lead in the other one. And also, there's a lot of voiceover that goes along with this that's movie. That's noir, not, baby. It, it wasn't dark and rainy night. It can be, night. but it doesn't have to be. And in this case, I think they overdo it a little bit. But do you think, okay, so this is a classic, a one of those classic. questions. Do you, do you think that... We we look at that and go like, oh my god, that kind of voiceover. But was this sort of one of the original? Like it was early mm. on, so maybe it's a victim of its own success. That might that might well be absolutely. Yeah. And I've seen much worse versions of that. <laughs> High praise Victor, indeed, oh, sir. Victor, Victor Mature, god damn you. So so we have um, we have uh, uh, Fred McMurray. Mm-hmm. Now Fred McMurray is is either a great dad or mm-hmm. a shitty person in every movie he plays. Am I every wrong? movie that I enjoy him in, he's a shithead. <laughs> We're talking about the Kane shit. Mutiny, right? Is well, this is Kane Mutiny, but the Apartment, oh, the, the apartment, right? The double indemnity, yeah. I mean, like he's yeah. just—he played such a wonderful heel. I well, I would say that unlike the apartment and unlike the Kane mutiny, this is a, a shit heel who you're rooting for. Mm-hmm. As much as you're rooting for Edward G. Robinson, who in essence becomes his his um his, his noir, his the Javert to his Jean Valjean. How's that for nerdy? Oh my god! <laughs> I'm wrong. Huh? Holy shit! Come on, you know that you know Wilder stole a page out of that. All right, so so okay, so and you have Barbara Stanwyck. Let's start Barbara Stanwyck. Side note: Barbara 
Stanwick. 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 Barbara Stanwick is a shitty person in real oh, life. Yeah. Just a real piece of garbage. In real life? I don't know about that. Oh, yeah. No, no, she, I know a little about her in real well, life. Well, in real life, she made it her mission to make sure that the, um, like McCarthy uh-huh. um, knew everything he could possibly know about Hollywood. Oh, okay. Like beyond being so she's a threat, patriot, she just is what totally I'm volunteered <laughs> to just sell everyone down the river. She was uh, a real piece of garbage. What a bastard. Okay. Kazan gets a lot of shit for that. Right. But she was much worse than he. Okay. Okay. okay so, but this is 1944. So, okay. So, so McMurray. Uh, He's an insurance salesman. Is an insurance salesman. In Los Angeles. And we talked about this in the, I think we've, uh, I think like the context, one of the things about this movie that's really kind of cool is how LA sort of runs around the background. We did, oh, a, yeah. we did a show about San Francisco and how it's like almost another character. Yeah. In this case, there's a feeling of this couldn't be done anywhere but Los Angeles. It's an interesting um, uh, Los Angeles as a character too because it's a it's a character that could not be done again. In other words, it's it's a very Los Angeles of its time, like yeah. free freeway, pre, you know. Right, and, right, you, right. You actually had a, a public transportation system that worked. Mm-hmm. And so so it really starts out with Fred McMurray just going around doing his, his insurance salesman bullshit, trying right. to sort of like scam people into extra life insurance right. being, and a, being a snappy with 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 uh, tons of snappy patter to go along with it that's so, the thing snappy so he, patter he goes to sell a guy um so to renew a guy's life insurance Wealthy in like man. the pacific palisades and this is a guy who like owns a, a, a shipyard or something right and and um he's not there but his wife is yeah, that's right. barbara stanwick she doesn't look all that great but for some reason she's compelling in this movie you don't think she's a, a beauty nah, i don't think she's a great beauty she i, I mean she's, i think she's prettier in the big valley which happened in the 70s Okay. Yeah, and she's when she's like in her seventies. She's a more attractive <laughs> that woman just might there be your thing, than here. Yeah, and mommy, mommy. So you know he he um, he sexually harasses her for a while. Yeah, because it was the it was the forties, <laughs> and that's how women and women talk, right? Yeah. So she had great gams. She had great grabs, and she knew how to she knew how to touch the floor with them. Is the decider home? Uh, I mean, your husband. <laughs> how about making me something to eat, doll? I'm I'm a salesman in your house, right? Anyway, so yeah, uh, it's, and, and and Edward G. It's Robinson now way over the top. Edward G. Robinson, let's back up and talk about now. At this character. point, Edward, Edward G. Robinson, you know, he'd had ten years of success as a gangster, right? And and four years after this, he'd he'd, he'd revive a role as um, as Johnny in Key Largo, Key Largo, great yeah. gangster role. Oh yeah, but he had resigned himself that if he were going to stay in Hollywood, that he would have to sort of transition smoothly into like the second banana, second banana roles and good ones, you know. Yeah, which That's, he does here. Oh, yeah. um, he does two years later in Orson Welles' The Stranger. I think mm-hmm. one of Orson Welles' strongest movies. Right. Um, he's he's really good, and he's got this. Uh, now, I, I think this probably irritates you, Tom, but he's got this sort of catch line, mm-hmm. and it's, he's he's the sort of lead investigator uh, in the office for yeah. insurance fraud. Right. And he has the little man who no, lives I fucking in love his that. tummy. That's the best part of the, the whole. Little guy man does. tells little me when man. someone's lying. What you can't see is the way he points to his stomach, where yeah. the little man tells him these things. Chomping on cigars. It's, it's, he's eating a cigar, and he's doing it with his thumb. He's got a fist, and he's just pointing the thumb right at it. So, uh, yeah, so so I mean, really, the essence cool. of the film sort of the, begins this way: that the wife mm-hmm. um, starts to um, respond to McMurray's advances, right, Barbara Stanwyck, and the reason she is is because well, she loves him. Well, obviously, of course, I mean, hello. <laughs> she she loves salesman in your house ordering your round. She loves the McMurray, mm-hmm. but also she hates her husband. Right, doesn't like her husband, and she kind of likes money. And there might be yeah. a way that those two things can come together for her. If she can, All three, I, I mean, it's almost like I don't know if it if it is exactly implied mm-hmm. that she was given McMurray 
the handies, little little happy endings or something. But she was doing something. Like she really captured his attention. She she let his fire. Right. And and the whole point of of the noir character is that he's a cynic. Right. Who can't be moved. And that's that's I think a classic sort of like trope of noir films. Whether mm-hmm. it's like the Maltese Falcon or this one, it's like the 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 hardened cynical guy that can't be moved, but somehow is by right. this tomato. Right. 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 And so she moves him. Oh, does she, she move moves him? him to a little bit of what we like to call insurance fraud? Yeah. So it's like the it's, finest movie about insurance fraud I think I've ever. <laughs> nothing, 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 nothing as compelling as a little insurance fraud. Yeah, so. the little man in here tells me you're right, Tommy. <laughs> but but so so it's like insurance. Well, fuck insurance fraud, murder. Well, that, by way of murder, yeah, yeah, okay. right. So that's, you're right. That is the worst of the crimes. <laughs> let's be honest. But nevertheless, I feel really offended by the insurance fraud. In this I mean, there was here. Obamacare. Yeah, there was a genocide, sure, <laughs> but they uh, <laughs> make America great. Uh, so so. So um, she convinces, <laughs> I think, rather handily and easily, mm-hmm. Fred McMurray to help her kill her husband right? so that she can collect the insurance money, uh, presumably, ostensibly to be with him. Right. Well, collect the insurance money and be with him, absolutely. And he, I love how he just steps in immediately to using, utilizing his expertise in this particular field. Yeah, sure. He knows how to work the system. Because he's been an insurance fraud. He knows, he's seen enough of that to know yep. what gets caught. So he's going to try to, he's going to try to, you know, game the system from inside of the system. So, so, so. Presumably he'd be well qualified for that. They're working this out. Right. Um, she has a stepdaughter, the husband's, you know, natural, biological daughter, mm-hmm. who, um, she doesn't really like the the husband doesn't really like, and she's sort of trouble because um, she, she's I don't know running around Los Angeles with a Hispanic guy. That's what it is. Oh, she's yeah. running around with a Mexican, which sits none too well <laughs> with this Barbara Stanwyck. What more could you ask for? And and there's this sort of like sub. I would. It's almost like a um, not a sub subplot mm. in which Fred McMurray um, is flirtatious with the young lady. But right. th- nothing really follows through. It's just a sort of complication in there. I think it's just basically go like he really is kind of a dick underneath all the dickishness. <laughs> like even if you think he's being a dick, he's got he's got more. He's got some. He's got some he's, chambered. He's being sort of led astray by this evil woman. Yeah. He is a dick. He's more than willing to cheat on her with the, her, daughter. Her, her daughter. Yeah, <laughs> she's got a Woody Allen quality. I like this. Now. That is true. Good, All good right. call. Hmm. So, 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 um, and then, then a little too soon, ye, Miss Bone. Miss Barbara, St- <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. Take that. Miss Barbara Stanwyck um, um, gets some more information, which is this: the husband is is going up to Stanford um, for a, a class reunion on a on a train, right. and if he should fall off the train, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a clause in the insurance policy known as double indemnity. Mm-hmm. It'll pay off twice because it's so unlikely. Right. You're like, yeah. So it's a weird way to die that you get paid twice for it. Yeah. Which is. Kind of hilarious that that actually does exist. Yeah, well, I think we're I think we're a horribly flawed people. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. So I mean, it's really just that it's it's them trying to um, murder the husband um, who who weirdly and in the meantime has broken his foot and is on crutches. Right, like strangle him, throw him on the railroad tracks. Mm-hmm. McMurray jump on the train, sort of in a in a low brimmed hat disguised as him, <laughs> so that people will see him on the train and then right. not see him on the train. So there'll be an alibi, right? And 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 in the meantime. Oh, there's a great sort of like they're, they're they have to get away from the scene. They right. have to clear out, and and the car won't start. Yes. And Preminger said that um, he actually rewrote that part of the screenplay because they they Wilder shot... or Preminger. I'm I'm sorry. Uh, and I was going to say Gene Wilder. Billy Wilder said that he actually rewrote that part of the screenplay because they'd shot that scene, and he went out to his car and it wouldn't start. 
he goes, oh, damn it. Let's let's go back in and redo. Because that, that would that'd be a perfect sort of like tension moment. And it was. It, it was totally actually. was. It really drives you fucking nuts watching it. And then and in the meantime, you have mm-hmm. um, Edward G. Robinson and the little man Running in his gut. Who's no, right. The perfect murder is, has occurred. Right. He's got no proof, but he's not willing to look away just yet. Double indemnity. And just as he's about to, the boss's greed gets, at better, gets the better of him. Yeah. So, I mean, it's really, I mean... I don't know. I mean, the whole thing is, it's told, here's the flaw. Mm-hmm. McMurray is the voiceover. Right. But he drags himself in shot into the office to but confess the, onto at, a tape recorder. At the beginning of the at movie. At the beginning of the So you know where it's going. Right. But you know what? I think that sometimes, even though you know the boat's going to sink in a movie, mm-hmm. you want to know how the boat sinks. And just You just want to see what's-his-name drown. McMurray? No, not McMurray. I'm thinking of Titanic. Uh, Leo DiCaprio. Leo DiCaprio. You <laughs> old fucker. Wow. A little Geritol get you through oh, that joke, buddy. Well, I know it's eating Gilbert Grape. Okay, <laughs> okay so we're, we're a bit split. I think it's it's one of the great, you know, I put it in the top like four or five. I think it's a little noir. overrated, but it's okay. And so as Nora goes, I could think yeah. of much better, but it's it's okay. Um, all right, so we, so we switched to 1950 to another um, Billy Wilder noir, and that's mm-hmm. the classic Sunset Boulevard, which Sunset. is, I mean, it's so often talked about. It's, it's yeah, I like we, I like how we shied away from the big hit for Wilder here. <laughs> Wilder, we're just going full blast, yeah, Canon Wilder. We are, we are what's called selling out for the Finleys. Now here's now so so Wilder had sort of reported a la Preminger that that he he didn't like the stylization, but this film here's what's fascinating: the film opens with an impossible camera shot from the bottom of a swimming pool mm-hmm. looking up at a dead William Holden who then does the voiceover for his own murder. Right. Now, I want to say this. Here's what I found out. That was not the original opening of that film. They reshot it after audiences booed the original one. Really? I'd like to see this. I've only seen about a 30-second clip of this. The original Sunset Boulevard was actually the Los Angeles morgue mm-hmm. and once the sort of like uh, morticians leave a, a body in a freezer yeah. all the bodies get up to tell the story of the murder including William Holden as <laughs> Joe like let me tell you the story of my murder you won't believe it fuck off so Wilder wow, says that they showed Wilder. they showed this in Poughkeepsie New York mm. as, to, as a test audience and he's just sort of sitting there an unknown you know mm. in the dark and he goes out to the lobby, and a couple of people, this woman in a big hat streams by, and she turns to him, and he goes, have you ever seen such a piece of shit in your life in the first five minutes? And he goes, no, this is awful. <laughs> and he went back and redid the opening okay. to what was a classically stylized thing, which, a, of course, is Sunset Boulevard. It's a great opening. It's one of the, be- it's one of the best openings in movie. It's a great opening. And it's 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 like three quarters noir and and um, three uh, one quarter like homage to old Hollywood. Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. Old Hollywood. Black, old, and, wh- Black old and white to Hollywood. silent Hollywood. Hollywood, yeah. So, so you have um, you have um, William Holden. You have the the amazing sort of swan songish Whoa, Gloria Swanson, who's, who's swan songing like a motherfucker. She is swan songing, baby. Mm-hmm. You got um, your Nancy Olson, mm-hmm. who was in a number of of um, William, uh, William Holden movies. Yeah. Um, you have um, a, a great small role by Jack Webb yeah. as a lovable Artie, and then you have Eric von Strohheim, who was a director. Yeah. Director, yeah, um, a very famous director. Switched over um, uh, uh, to uh, as an actor in like Grand Illusion in the 1930s. Yep, yep. Um, fantastic, but he plays a, a sort of a smaller role as Gloria Swanson's 
ex-director, old director, right? And butler, and current butler. Right, right, right. That's right. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, one of the things about this film is it starts off as almost pure noir. It's sort of like William Holden's a struggling um, a screenwriter mm-hmm. in Hollywood. Um, he can't really catch a break. None of his movies have gone past the sort of like the B-Western right. sort of thing. His producer won't give him a break. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the studio Paramount lot won't sort of like see him under the lot anymore. Right. He's trying. He's hanging around. There's a great noir line where he goes to get his car out of a lot, and he says, um, Artie never asked how your day was. He just looked at the heels of your shoe, and he knew the score. <laughs> and it was like, ah, yeah, good well, line, Okay, that's baby. one of the things about this movie that, that is inescapable, is that the writing, some of the writing in this movie is just some of the best in Hollywood. It is. I mean, there are lines that just ring down through the years. People have no, people say them and have no fucking idea what movie they came from. But, it, but it's also a very mixed movie because what, what starts the movie off is he's trying to hide his car, basically, from, mm-hmm. from the repo guys, right? right? And he pulls into a driveway of this sort of broken down old Hollywood you know, mansion, which mm-hmm. turns out to be Gloria Swanson. This is very great expectation. Too. Yeah, oh yeah. And it, 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 but he pulls in and, and it's her, her mansion. Mm-hmm. And um, she's a, a sort of like um, a Hollywood, silent Hollywood star of the past. But the first thing he sees when he goes in, do you remember this? Is the, the funeral for the monkey. Oh, I forgot about that part. He goes in and she was having a funeral for her pet monkey. Oh, yeah, and it's yeah, got yeah. all kinds of very sort of like surreal um, aspects to it. Mm-hmm. In addition to being noir. Because she was, right, you know, she's old Hollywood from like, a, you know, she's old crazy I mean, Gloria Swanson Hollywood. was a Cecil B. DeMille yeah. like Hollywood actress, right? right? You know, where they, they, they would have pet monkeys and shit like that. So here's that, more meta because orangutans she, on their ground. She's playing an absolute version of, if not herself, what she could be, which is right. sort of like someone clinging to the past of her glory days. Mm-hmm. And so, so he wants to hide his car there for a while, right. and he's trying to figure out what to do, and she makes an offer to him when she finds out that he's a screenwriter, which is, can you take a look at my script? She's right. been writing her own right. comeback script. Right. And, and here's where the voiceover really helps, because it's a terrible, terrible script. Uh-huh. But he, he's gotten himself in a position where he can live... He can keep his car hidden. Mm-hmm. He can live in this place, make some money, maybe actually sort of get some connections even with us through this old broad. Right. But but he's forced to stay in this dreadful, dreadful like fucking situation. Dracula, dra- gilded, dra- gilded Dracula's <laughs> castle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perry monkeys and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh. it's it's a crazy film, and and also like he's he's sort of. Um, uh, estranged in a way from uh, like Jack Webb, his Hollywood buddy, all mm-hmm. all the the people he's been hanging around with from his age group, right? Um, who would only look at this woman as like sort of a ghoul, right? Or, um, or a not a best a novelty, but mostly a ghoul, right? Right. So it's like he knows that there's no way she's going to get back into Hollywood. The script is terrible. Right. She's past her prime. Um, he has his doubts about himself as right. a writer. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to go back to his town in Ohio, if, uh, back to you know as a failure. That classic story, right? Um, and, and in Mops, in the meantime, all these sort of opportunities to sort of, to, to look at, um, like Cecil B. DeMille in 1950. So, Mm -hmm. so this, this film is chock full of actors from the 20s and 30s who sort of come in just to play themselves or a version of of themselves on themselves Mm -hmm. as sort of run down Hollywood actors and directors in their last sort of dying stages. It's weird, man. It's like like a fucking, um, (laughs) it's like a freak show or something like that. It's a very, very movie. Shows up. Yeah, and so there's that. And then of course, you know, what's great about this movie is Mm -hmm. that you expect that there's always a sort of like, there's the tension, the the sexual romantic tension. And there is on two levels 
almost there's the tension that he and the sexual and the and the in the disgust at the same time. Well, there's there's the, the tension he begins to have for Jack Webb's girlfriend Nancy Olson, uh-huh. who's a young sort of you know budding screenwriter, and right. she wants to help him with the script. Meanwhile, he has to keep a secret from her that he's living with Gloria Swanson, who has more than a crush on him, oh, who know, believes they were meant God. to be you know, together. He has to like think of what he has to think of to get a hard on. It her. is a humiliating. <laughs> oh my God. It's awful. Gracious me. Yeah. I mean, so, it's, it's it's weird too. It's like this is one of those Hollywood movies that is again, it's it, it's got a it's making a meta comment about Hollywood, but making a meta comment about old Hollywood. New comment, new Hollywood by way of old Hollywood. It's fucking weird. You know, it's interesting. Tw- it's really cool. Twenty nine years later, nineteen seventy eight or seventy nine. Going to say Fedora. Yeah, he yeah. made a movie called Fedora. It's the same fucking movie. Well, in a way, yeah. I mean, it's almost like he he took a stab. It's actually, in some ways, it's kind of more interesting in different ways. Mm-hmm. And it's it's it's. Um, William Holden plays a much older screenwriter who had been in love with an actress like in the 50s or the right, 40s right. or something and then had a chance to meet her again when she was old and had to wear like a veil over her face. Mm-hmm. The difference is that that it's almost like Wilder saying, what what if Sunset Boulevard had taken a different turn in the screenwriting? Meaning right. she's, she's not in love with him. She doesn't want to come back. Quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. She doesn't really like him. She doesn't want to be reminded of him. She doesn't wants nothing to do with Hollywood. They're chasing her down for like special Oscars presented right. by mm-hmm. you know uh, Henry Fonda or whatever it is so I think that's a very underappreciated film sure. uh, for Billy Wilder and I think it, uh, by 1978 he just reached that point where he was out of vogue right um, yeah. it, had Preminger lived I, I think that and had still been making movies he would have been long out of vogue too because mm-hmm. and again there's a word you've been using lately that I really appreciate they are super super competent which is not to say they're not inventive especially Wilder extremely inventive yes. filmmakers right. but also like they want to get the job done let's right. get in there let's do this a journeyman's approach a workman's approach a blue collar approach to it. Yeah, and so you it falls out of vogue. Yeah, and this is the same year that that Holden. I mean, it wasn't his first film. He he did Golden Boy in like 1939, but right. he didn't catch fire until 1950. And 1950 was his year, so he did. I don't know if he did this first or if he did Born Yesterday first, but those are two sort of great. Yeah, yeah. William Holden not knowing he's a star right. as the star of a film. Right, 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 right. Yeah, stardom soon soon to follow on on its heels. Yeah. Yeah. So I, right. I can't re- recommend it enough. I mean, no, great. It's... Just a, I mean, everything they say about it, if you haven't seen it, it is that good. Absolutely. The movies got smaller. That's what we need to know. It's the pictures that oh, got smaller. Fuck, I'm talking like people, again, people know I'm that ready line. for my close up, Mr. DeMille. No idea where that comes from. Yeah. You know? I've never seen the movie. So, yeah. anyways, all right. I so, think, I, I mean, like yeah, a... I think we're going to go out on a limb and say, hey, Sunset Boulevard, um, good film. Go catch Thumbs up. Why go, not? Yeah, whatever. These guys know what they're we'll doing. Be kind. Okay. Yeah. yeah, all right. And I feel like there's another. Billy Wilder movie we can talk about. Uh, I don't know. Some people like these things, mm, and mm. they like them heated. Some like them. Some like them warmish. Mm, almost hot, I'd say. No, some like you know what? Some not just things, but they like it. We're some talking, like of it course, hot. like 1959. Some like it hot. Yes, sir. Now, um, I want to okay. say this too. By the way, I want to go back and say this. Um, Billy Wilder um, was born in Austria. Mm-hmm. He had to leave in the 30s. For some it, reason, some we don't know. Jewy reason. Yeah. Um, but before he left, he was named Billy, by the way, um, by his mother who had visited America and was fascinated with Billy the Kid. Really? Apparently. But by the 20s, well, he got tired of his parents. She never got to see the gunfire. I mean, uh, <laughs> the outlaw, apparently. Okay. Oh, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> by the 20s, Billy Wilder um, left for Berlin, mm-hmm. and he was in his 20s, in the roaring 20s, and um, there are all these accounts of him 
um, joining a jazz band, mm. um, trying to write short stories, novels, screenplays, but um, that he was also a gigolo for a short period of yeah, time. Get out of here, really? What's the, Sl- what's the guy from the actor studio? Um, Rose? No, wait, no. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, that I, guy I, from I, the actor I never knew that guy's name. I never <laughs> know I can't think of it now. Name, yeah. But that guy no. um, uh, admitted later on that he was a pimp when he was in Paris in the 50s. So I don't see any reason why Billy Wilder... Because Billy Wilder was kind of a known right. coxman, too. That's okay. another thing. He wasn't a good-looking guy, but he really loved the ladies. Wow, and the ladies love the slang and the I only mention all of this. I bring this back because slang by the time the you get down. through um, Double Indemnity and then you get through um, Sunset Boulevard and then you make your way to what is arguably the... Greatest, the greatest comedy, comedy of, of all, all time. time. Mm-hmm. It's like this guy. I kind of believe that he was in a jazz band as a gigolo screenwriter in Berlin in the twenties. Because he's just a guy. He's a little like Walter. He's like the fat Walter Houston. He just enjoys life. He just. <laughs> it's like what what isn't on his resume? Right. What wouldn't be? I don't know. I don't know. I, the, the fact that he's he's so good across so many yeah. genres. Fuck. I hate, I'm starting to hate that word a little bit. It's okay. He's he's so good across so many different types of movies, so many genres of movies. Yeah. Ah, uh, just you know, we're we're talking border. We're talking like a borderline genius. He's not on a tour. I think in the classic sense where mm-hmm. you, there's that you can spot him, but you don't even, you don't need to know he's made the movie to to what to see him in the movie. I'll tell you what he is that Preminger isn't though. I mean, Preminger would like to rewrite the shit out of people's stuff. Wilder is a fantastic original writer. Yeah, I mean yeah. he's one of the best screenwriters well, on top of being dude, a great director. Okay, so enough, enough fucking around. Let's get let's get well, let's get to balls demon because we watched um, something like it hot a couple of months ago. We went to yeah we went the up, theater. We took, yeah, we took Pop to go see it. The original film. We watched this thing. I've seen this movie dozens of times. Yeah. I mean twenty times more and more, much more than that. I'm sure. Yeah, I watched it, and first off, I have to say it's worth catching in the big screen because you'll see physical jokes. Like uh, like physical um, like visual jokes, you'll see that you didn't see on a smaller yeah. screen. Mm-hmm. So I definitely recommend that. And then, and then watching this thing with a more jaundiced eye, with an eye toward talking about it on the show, yeah. I, I was sort of blown away by how little movement was lost. Yeah, and also, everything everything dovetailed. Uh, also, we saw it in a, like a mm, half packed theater with people you knew uh-huh. were seeing it for the first time, right. and how much they enjoyed it. Right, and they were young. I mean, they were these were yeah. millennial punks. We don't like, but they were in. Don't like they, them. they found their way into this movie, and so uh, well, every, a little bit, a little bit of love there. Every once in a while, that that a list comes out of like the most overrated films of all time, and, and this will invariably show up on it stupidly, mm, like stupid. uh, Citizen Kane, and and and. What they'll say is this, like, ha ha, two guys dressing up as women, gonna get oh, more hack cisgender America. Yeah, well, okay. there's, okay, two things, that it could be a hack premise, sure. but also that it's, um, you know, we, we've sort of evolved. And, and I'm not even unsympathetic toward the view that we've evolved past the point where a man dressing up in a dress is, is automatically funny. Mm-hmm. The thing is, you put all of that aside. Let's say that those things don't count as funny anymore, sure. or maybe even are offensive. It's but a they, uh, fucking wildly funny movie. It is a funny fucking it's movie. It's just a the jokes, well-written... The jokes are fantastic. Yeah. Um, two guys dressing up as a woman. I think this might have been the first one, so I'm going to give him that credit. Right I don't there. know. I don't know. I doubt it, but... Uh, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe not, but... but but, but nevertheless, the jokes are great. The jokes yeah. are actually funny. They're yeah. funny, but they're clean, yeah. which is unusual and in, in, it's unusual and underappreciated today. To I be guess sure. so. Okay. Um, the acting is 
spot on. Even Marilyn Monroe, who I'm not usually a huge fan of as an actress, yeah. pulls it off. Everything, everything sort of dovetails in this movie. But it's really the acting is good, but it's the writing that leads in this fucker. I mean, the premise. So the premise is is that um, Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis are two, mu- two struggling musicians in Chicago. In Chicago, and they're playing in a jazz band in the Speakeasy, right? Which is hilariously. Um, disguised as a funeral home. Right. Yes. With with jokes all over that. All over it. All the over first the, five you, minutes. You walk in. You have to introduce yourself as the pallbearer to get into the back of the room. I mean, it's funny. Yeah. I mean, it's it's almost like you know. There's that thing with um, like I, I don't know, if it was Jay Leno or or um, Letterman. Somebody would always gave that advice, like if you're on stage, you can't go, never go more than 15 seconds without a punchline. Mm-hmm. And I mean, whether that's true or not, as a stand-up comic, it's almost like Wilder had that type of advice going yeah, for him in this film. Because nothing is wasted, and it's boom, boom, boom. You go to YouTube him reading the script sometime. Really, he cracks himself up, and he's right. <laughs> he he loves reading his own jokes. <laughs> okay, fuck it, I. Okay, so so they um, they work for um, George Raft. <laughs> George who's, Raft, who's the proprietor of right. this speakeasy. One of the things that I think is that is lovely about this movie and doesn't get quite a, as much attention as I think it should is how it's also it's um, it's a up it's a it's a spoof it's a spoof in homage to old hollywood yeah. gangster movies absolutely george raft was the guy in uh what was it um at scarface who yeah. originated the the nickel the, flip the nickel flipping gangster yep. guy and he gets a chance to you know fuck with a nickel flipping gangster guy in this movie I absolutely mean, it's, it's filled with these little inside jokes from from earlier hollywood and which pa- if you get Pat O'Brien, it, of course who always played the the sort of like the the priest who was a friend of cagney's gangster uh-huh. you know role right. um is in this as as the sort of um investigator who's after spats colombo and the fbi yeah 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 and, and anyway, so so um, okay. so they they uh, they need to get someplace. So they borrow a car from one of the women that Tony Curtis takes advantage of. Yep. They go to pick it up. They go into a garage. I, I just want to say this. I, well, I'm sorry to interrupt. Tom wisely jumped in order to keep this the, the plot line moving between where we left off and where he he just started with. They pick up her car. This 27 tw- great fucking lines. I mean, that aren't worth going back to at all. 15 minutes. 15 minutes of and 27 just great lines. Non-stop great dialogue yeah. back and forth. Yeah. And and you see it three or four times. You you get little little um you see it like the third time and something that felt mumbled the second time you saw it, all of a sudden a new joke sort of pops up and you get it. Mm-hmm. It is fucking hilarious. But sorry, so, so so they go to the garage to pick up a car. They go to the garage and, and boom, they end up in the middle of essentially the St. Valentine's Day massacre, which you know, and, and of course Pats Colombo is is a knockoff of Capone, a la blah. Blah de blah. It's all these things about old gangster movies and old the old gangster tropes that are brought in here, right. used to affect. So they they have, have to get out of town. They have to witness a murder. They needs to get the fuck out of town. Now they have heard previously but, a posting for two musicians for a band. The, but these musicians that play the exact instruments that they two play, but are ladies. So what are they going to do? They're different shape. Like ladies. You're the wrong shape. What do we have to be hunchbacks? No, it's not the facts that bother me. <laughs> Zing thing. Great. So 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 next thing, um, they're uh, taking a train down to Florida with an all girls band. Yeah, um, I he- had this dream. Man. Holy <laughs> shit! Led by Sweet Sue and her society serenaders and syncopators. Syncopators, sorry, Get it right. And uh, Marilyn Monroe, who is who plays Sugar Sugar Kowalski, who's just a a, a, a mediocre singer who plays the oh, ukulele, yeah. but she's awesome. Yeah, absolutely, she's a hipster. The, I mean, the, I mean, this is still in the first third of the movie. The train, the 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 scene. The part of the film where they're taking the train with the all-girls band mm-hmm. down to Florida for yeah. this gig at a hotel is 
fucking priceless. Oh, I mean, it's way, just yeah. The way they crowd into the where they're trying to crowd into his birth. Not uh, nonstop. <laughs> I mean, everything is. about it is 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 nonstop. And these little lines. You know, my father was a conductor. What Stravinsky? No, the Baltimore, oh, Maryland. Baltimore, Baltimore Ohio. Ohio. Yeah. yeah, it's just fucking great, great um, yeah. dialogue, yeah. right? So yeah. they get there. No, by the way, I I also have to say this. This is something I learned. She was a fucking problem. No, no surprise there. Oh yeah. But he, here's what um, here's what Wilder said about it. He'd worked with her in the, the seven year itch. Mm-hmm. They get to um, the most problematic portion of the film, which is like the last sixty percent where they're in Florida. It was actually filmed at the Hotel Del, Del Coronado near sure. San Diego. Uh-huh. Um, I had uh, a friend of mine wrote an article, by the way, about like that week that they were filming there and what a nightmare she was, and oh. she and Arthur Miller were going through like hellish like times and making everyone on the set miserable Mm -hmm. but here's what wilder said wilder said she would memorize like 20 pages of dialogue and have it absolutely down better than anyone else and then she couldn't get three lines right for like days really so as an example there's a great bit of dialogue where tony curtis um dresses up as a shell oil executive shell oil jr because right. again his thing is is a he's a puss hound he's, yeah. a, he's a puss hound of, of the first order and he he said he manipulates women into it that's that's his thing so so there's a great like three pages of dialogue between um marilyn monroe and tony curtis and it's really complex dialogue because it's just packed full of of really obscure little easter egg jokes right. all over the place right so they're filming at the Hotel Coronado. The Navy um, is sending planes out every 10 minutes. So while there's like, we're going to have to try to shoot this scene between them, between Shit. planes going overhead, mm-hmm. it's Marilyn Monroe. I anticipate this is going to take about four days. Right. He said it took 18 minutes. They got all of that down in 18 no minutes. Shit. Now, that's interesting. There's a scene in the Hotel de Coronado where she's supposed to knock on a door and she goes, It's me, oh. sugar. He said 79 times. She said, Sugar, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> and they, he was like, Marilyn. Finally, they had to paste um, It's Me, Sugar on the door. And shoot it from a different angle. <laughs> but she was just that weird nightmare. Uh, and, and of course, she's America's sex symbol. And then you have... Tony, well, no, I, there, okay, go on. Go, no, there's a famous story about Tony Curtis, Yeah, right? Tony Curtis hated her yep. guns. <laughs> he, was, he, got to, he got to an extensive makeout scene with Marilyn Monroe. Yep. And when asked about it later, his his line was, it was like kissing Hitler. Yeah, yeah Considering that he was a Jew. That was probably... Uh... Yeah, well, he and, 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 um, and, and Lemon were so different, too. Because um, oh, yeah, and this I, I knew about for a long time was that they took such different approaches um tony curtis actually went to some sort of like finishing school for five weeks to learn how to appropriately like walk in heels and apply lipstick Mm -hmm. and lemon was like you're totally missing the point what's funny (laughs) is that we don't know what we're doing but in a weird it actually works out wonderfully in this movie because he looks incredibly competent as a woman whereas jack lemon looks ridiculous (laughs) yeah 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 and I mean, I don't know what else needs to be said. There are lots of great things about this film. Mm-hmm. Joey Brown is Joey in this Brown. film as this insane, lecherous millionaire who has the hots for Jack, Jack, Le- Jack Lemon. <laughs> and, Daphne. Uh, and Jack Lemon's like, you know, um, uh, uh, crowning achievement in this movie is when he accepts a marriage proposal from Joey Brown. Right. And he's shaking his maracas. And and it leads, and all of this stuff, which the, what is that, half an hour to the end of the movie, right? Right. Yeah. The end of the movie. Sure. And the whole movie ends on. The, the the greatest line ever based on that whole relationship. Which you won't you're not gonna say. I'm not gonna say. You but, gotta watch that goddamn movie. I mean it's it's I mean it's just I think it stands up over time. I mean I've seen it 
for, I don't know, I've seen it 25 times. Mm-hmm. By the time I saw it in the theater this last time, I was laughing my ass off mm-hmm. again. Again. I was catching new things. Mm-hmm. I've been steeped um, in an academic environment because of my job where I am really ripe to be like, well, I don't think that really stands the <laughs> test of humanity you're, you're, anymore. You're, you're, yeah, you're, you're looking to poke holes. In a way, and all of it stood up. It's, stood up. it's a fantastic, and it's a testament to how and, great Wilder is as a director, but also as a writer-director. Right. And I felt that way, too, and I want to point out, like, when we went to watch this, mm-hmm. I was going up there with my with my guns loaded, yeah. you know, because, you know, we're bringing it into this podcast. I want to be able to talk about it knowingly and not just yeah. gush. Uh, so I was like, kept I kept I brought a critical eye to this fucking thing, yeah. and it's just a gem of a movie. Well, look, if you wanted um, some non gushers, we could make a list of non gusher Wilder things, Wilder right. movies. For instance, there is one that you don't find to be very you don't like is the fortune cookie. Uh fortune cookie. Jesus, I don't even remember. Jack Lemon, Walter Matthau, the lawyer. Oh, the yeah. The over the, the over the top. Yeah, okay. Okay. He he directed those two in a number of films. There's one called yeah. Buddy Buddy, which is a, a fucking abortion of a movie. Yeah. I mean, he's made some terrible, terrible movies, movies, but yeah. he, he does take risks. He knows how to write. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is naturally a funny man. It's no accident that, uh, and a creative man. Yeah, and this may be, I'm, I really, I'm going to keep it up there. It may be the funniest movie of all time. Yeah, and, and one of the things he, he said is that um, too many writers and directors don't read. Uh, I think that's common. Like, you yeah. hear that for, like, creative writers, people who write novels and short stories, right. read, read, read. But you don't often hear to filmmakers that you should be reading a lot. You know what? The, other one, the only other filmmaker I've ever heard say that is the one you, is one you don't care for, Herzog. He said that the first thing a, writer, a director must do is to read. We'll give you the idea. I don't care for Herzog. What's that? We'll give you that idea. Oh, well, you, you you hate Herzog. It's okay, man. That's no, I'm right. just curious. Well, like, what, what is well, that based on? Well, the words coming out of your mouth, like things like, I hate Warner Herzog. <laughs> things like that. I think I've only seen um, one Herzog movie, and I love that. That's Which one? Grizzly Man. Oh. I don't think I've seen well, it. Well, then you that. need to see more. Oh, well, then oh, well, I know where this podcast is going Fit, soon enough. Fitzcarlo is like the, the, the big one, right? That's the, <laughs> I think uh, Aguirre, the Wrath of God is probably the better one. No, I have a lot to learn, but I've never said that. Yes, you do. <laughs> Okay. No, you have a lot to learn. Yes. Okay. I agree. I'm just agreeing with you, Jeff. It's okay. Don't be don't don't feel uncomfortable. Thank you for your patronage. <laughs> if, since you are a Patreon subscriber. Yes, thank uh, you. We appreciate so much. that a lot. Uh, uh absolutely tell a friend, rate and review us on iTunes. You can always do that. Tommy, you have any uh self promotion? Yeah, oh, we're out of time. Oh, Go ahead. You got me, you scamp. No, just check out my website, uh TomSmithComedy.com, you cocksucker. Uh not you, the, this guy over here. You just wanted to punch that microphone right into your fucking Tight. head it just oh. looked like a giant black horse hawk horse cock just right through oh, your right through horse your horse hawk was better oh, tommy filling, filling the <laughs> void that is your skull